0: Welcome to the Craig Sellinger podcast, sit back and relax while listening to popular topics from educators, therapists and doctors, Craig Sellinger, New York City speech language pathologist, learning specialist, owner
1: of Brooklyn Letters and Temba Tutors will break it down so you enjoy learning more about a wide range of topics by connecting you with experts in the field. Hi, this is Craig Selinger. Thanks so much for tuning into this YouTube channel. I have a special guest today. I have Miriam Nunberg, a special education advocate and consultant. Miriam, thanks so much for, for coming. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's first talk about your, your background. Can you let um, the viewers know more about your, your training?
0: Um, yeah, I've, I've, um, I've worked in the education field for many years in a number of different roles. I started out as a special education teacher, um, working with students in um, a separate special education school in Boston, and um, that actually led me to law school, where I really focused on um, students' rights, education rights, constitutional rights. Uh, Worked for 14 years in the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, where I enforced um, all of the civil rights laws in schools um, on behalf of the federal government that included um, the rights that prohibit discrimination on the basis of disability, which is Section 504, and the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, I left to uh, found and launch a charter school in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Urban Garden Charter School. Mm -hmm. And... um, after that got up and running, I have sort of launched out on my own where I work with families um, and schools to help make sure that the rights of students um, are, are met in a whole bunch of different ways, whether it's um, making sure that kids with disabilities get the services they need or working with, with schools to advise them on um, making sure that um They give enough attention to educational equity in um, sort of across the board in their systems and and um, and processes that would be-
1: so what's very unique about yourself is that in terms of i mean you worked as a special educator and, and then you became an attorney and then you've you've done your a lot of work from an administrative perspective working one on one with clients, so you've really seen. Um, in terms of the child the family the schools like these interactions from so many different viewpoints and and you have a very unique lens That's why I'm very excited very excited that you're here today. Now. Let's go back when you were a special education teacher um, Can you just tell us more about like the students you worked with a little bit about that experience when you were in Boston?
0: Yeah, um That was the experience that really sort of even though it was only for a few years that mm-hmm. kind of I, I've returned to that experience innumerable times across my career. Um this was a school in Boston they in Massachusetts they have this system of schools called Chapter seven six six schools. Those are the schools that um for kids who can whose needs cannot be met in the um general education setting and real and and even with smaller classes they need to be an entirely separate school. Um the students I worked with were classified at the time as um, learning disabled and emotionally disturbed Mm -hmm. and had some um, really, really traumatic life experiences. Um, But the thing was, so I was a teacher in a class of no more than eight kids at a time. And the students that I had were, even though they had that label and they needed to be educated in this separate environment, um, what was so incredible about them was they were each really brilliant in their own way, so for mm-hmm. example, I had a student who um, could only read on a second grade level and had was really embarrassed because he was reading um, and he was about probably eleven, maybe Is twelve oh, um, okay. and, yeah, and so he was reading these baby books, but if you told him anything, I remember telling him like a, 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 very silly poem once
2: mm-hmm.
0: he recited it back to me verbatim two weeks later. Wow. Um, and he could do math on the most sophisticated level. Like he was, he was doing the hardest math that the school could offer in a, in working with the high school kids. Um, but yet he was reading on a second grade level mm-hmm. and that, was fascinating to me
1: of course Um, absolutely
0: absolutely fascinating and um i had another student who um was an incredible artist but if you if you spoke for more than five minutes Mm -hmm. at a time he would start curling up into a ball his feet would go up against the desk he would kick the desk across the room if you didn't catch him and Uh. he would say this is boring and so I had to teach both of those kids. One who could only learn really by listening Mm -hmm. and the other one who could learn really who, who who, through art. Right. And I had to figure out how to address both of those. Those were the two most extreme kids of my eight students, Mm -hmm. but um, it was an incredibly challenging experience. And it just, it, it was, it was, you know, it was hard. It was really hard to to sort of keep up the energy to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: it just gave me this profound interest in how are schools supposed to meet the needs of kids. Those were extreme examples, mm-hmm. but of kids who don't fit the mold. And right. if you had tried to educate those kids in a typical situation where um, they were supposed to keep up, kind of with a whole group of kids who were all learning in a much more traditional way. Mm-hmm. They, they would have they would have completely just been labeled as failures yes and then we were able to work with them and given the small intensive class that we were able to provide, we were creating these environments where I could remember that you know we had to include make sure to include you know a hand drawing opportunities and then and then oral storytelling and things like that for both kids
2: mm-hmm. so
0: um you know, as I've, in my career, as I've sort of moved on, I always remember that, that those are the kinds of kids who um, really need special attention because they were brilliant. They just couldn't show it in, in traditional schooling.
1: So again, this is not uh, this topic that I'm about to to mention. I I don't want to go, you know, off, off topic and go on a tangent because this is a, basically a loaded thing I'm about to say, but for those that are watching this video, um, the way American schools, and again, I, I, I'm not an expert in analyzing all the countries and the variety of schools, is that in general, and obviously it depends if it's private or public, but in general, again, and there's always exceptions, but um, the majority of schools are set up in a way where um, it's expected that students fit the mold, right? There's sort of an expectation, there's a general, you know, there's a curriculum that should appeal to, you know, ideally all the students, right? So then there's a, it's a lot of kids, there's a high percentage of students, even if they have a learning difference or learning disability or not. Um, and and again it could be a math curriculum maybe it appeals to 70 to 80 percent of the students but maybe 20 30 percent it doesn't right it just and of those students it doesn't appeal to it doesn't necessarily mean they they have a learning disability right if, if they don't learn it but um, there's a lot of you know um, I think a lot of pressure on teachers when also when they're told to teach a certain way and you have to bend the curriculum and then how do you teach towards if you're teaching towards the group not the individual so it's really tricky so you know from your teaching experience you got to see, you know, from, from, you know, basically in in, in actuality, what happens when you have, you know, some students that may be very bright and brilliant in certain ways, but they're struggling in other ways. And now you have to um, adopt the curriculum. Now, um, you know, we could talk all day because you have so many interesting stories, I'm sure. So just for today, and hopefully you'll, you'll come back and we'll learn more about your past experiences. Let's talk about currently what's, what's happening. So let, let's say I'm a parent um, and, and you talk a lot about rights, student rights. Now to me, I, I would assume that students have, they have rights. Why would their, you know, they're students, why would their rights be violated? Why why would a parent be concerned possibly if a student's rights are violated? I mean, I, I, can you tell the viewers more about this? Yeah. I mean,
0: I think when you, when you look at the history of the disability rights movement um, across the country, you know, the landmark case um, is the Rowley case and that is a really profound story of a girl in the 1970s who was blind, I think. Was she blind or deaf? She was one of those things. Yes. Um, and, and she, her parents were just asking for her to be given what we think of now as just very basic accommodations, mm-hmm. um, but the school
1: didn't understand why so the, the the word accommodation is very important. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and let let and, and, and even in 2020, can you let the viewers know what that what that means, accommodations, particularly and again it gets really complicated with IEPs and stuff, but accommodations is a very key word. Can you can you let us know yeah. more about that word?
0: Yeah. So um at the heart of special education law or or law related to to um making sure that kids with disabilities have equal access to the educational environment it is this concept of a free appropriate public education, otherwise known as FAPE. And um, what FAPE means mm-hmm. is the, the idea that students who, let's just say they, um, you start with the idea of a kid in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. right? They literally can't get through in many cases, they can't get into the building itself.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: what the Americans with Disabilities Act and other things require is schools build ramps to let them, let them get into the door, get in the door of the building.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Accommodations are for the host of other kinds of um, conditions that make it difficult for children to access the environment
1: so oh, well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna totally interrupt. So for the viewers out there, so your analogy of of for example, not analogy, but an actual example of someone having a physical disability. Now, the thing about learning disabilities is a lot of times they're invisible, right? And and it's and, and, and sometimes teachers don't see it or parents don't see it. Um, sometimes they could be mistaken as a child you know be you know, acting out. Where, um, you know, when you have an expert that understands learning disabilities, they can recognize that disability. And a lot of times, it's, it's, it's these kids can be a puzzle because um, you have to uncover, you know, what that underlying invisible learning disability is, right, for a step one. And then, and then how do you accommodate that, right? And which, which, sorry, I had a segue for those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So for kids with individual in, invisible disabilities, mm-hmm. the, the concept of accommodations for them It's figuring out what is the same thing, what's the equivalent of a ramp,
1: right? Yeah, exactly.
0: For a kid, let's say with dyslexia, Mm -hmm. um, which is where you have, your brain does not process written information in the same way as a typical child of the same age. Then you have to figure out what those children can learn to read. Yes, But they need a different approach.
1: They, and they need those ramps. And, and, and we know that a lot of teachers are not trained to provide those ramps. Right. So, right, and, 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 and therefore you would say if a student maybe has, let's say they, a student with dyslexia, they're being taught a certain way, that ramp is not being pulled out, and now the student is, is back here and the students all kind of have access, you know, they have their own ramps, but now the student doesn't have access. Now, are, is that where you come in, in a way, and say, you know what, this child needs a ramp. This child is sitting in the background, not learning as, as, effective, as effectively as he or she should, whereas their, his or her peers are, have access to the curriculum because they don't have this specific neurological learning disability, which is preventing them to have access to this curriculum. Is, is, does that sound correct?
0: Right. That's exactly right, So okay. in a situation where um, yeah, can you i the video got yeah. Um, yeah. got frozen um, yeah, so in a situation where let's just say it's it's dyslexia or mm-hmm. a whole host of other different kinds
1: right.
0: of learning attention just attention deficit disorders, um, executive functioning disorders, those are actual neurological differences that um, we know, we know are real and mm-hmm. we know, um, can significantly interfere with the educational performance of a child who's otherwise quite intelligent, like yes, those, those boys that, that I worked with as a teacher. Um, and what the, what I do and what the education, what the, the sort of set of laws, um, that governing the, that govern, um, disabilities in education are intended to do is make sure that the disability itself doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't block the child from getting access to the curriculum because many of these kids are very, very capable and, mm-hmm. and really can perform quite well. Um, but you need to figure out what the equivalent of that physical ramp is. Yeah, and, and then you need to make sure that, all the teachers who are working with those kids understand what tools are needed in order to allow the child to perform without the, the interference of the disability or the condition or whatever you want to call it.
1: So I've noticed of, you know, I've worked with a lot of families and obviously this is a a generality uh, statement, but um, most schools, I mean, there are some schools that are totally on top of helping kids with learning differences. And then the other end of the spectrum, there are schools that honestly don't care. Um, I hate to say it. Um, but at the end of the day, um, for the majority of families that have a child with a learning difference, um, it's really the parent. The parent plays. The parent is the driver. The parent has to be the advocate for the student in order to implement change. I, I've just you can't necessarily rely on schools to figure out what this ramp is, um, but you need the parent to somehow push for change um, within the school so that child does have access to those ramps. Does that does that sound correct?
0: Yeah, and it's it's really. Um It's a really hard situation, I think. Oh, it's a
1: terrible situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, because parents, I mean, you know, I've had a lot of experience in education. And with my own kids, I don't necessarily know what is the correct accommodation for, Mm -hmm. or or even just the best way to to allow them to access the environment because you don't see them in school. And um, so it does put parents in the position of, really needing to fight for um, their kids' rights. And there are a lot of tools that allow them to do that, Mm -hmm. legal tools. Um, And if you want, I can kind of explain what some of those are.
1: Yeah, Um, I would say, yeah, I would say if you can give maybe just some helpful, like, you know, some of your top tips for parents that are just, maybe they're tuning in and they're like, you know, I I think something's up with my child. Um, The school's not doing anything. Um, Like how, what should I do? Like that, this would be super beneficial if you can let the viewers know what you recommend.
0: Cool. Um, so like, let's say you're in a situation where, I mean, I can give you an example of a real life case that I
1: absolutely perfect. Okay,
0: cool. So, um, a, a client of mine, um, her son was in ninth grade, had just started high school. Um, super, super smart kid had always been, challenging, um, in terms of, um, you know, he was very impulsive. He liked, Mm -hmm. he was very funny. He, he got a lot of attention by doing really goofy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was so smart that he was always able to kind of like skate by. Yes. (laughs) Sure. Um, he gets into high school. It's a really big high school. It's a really high powered high school. Um, and all of a sudden, like from, from straight out of the gate, the teachers started complaining that he was doing all sorts of, you know, ridiculous, goofy stuff in class, which might've been funny, mm-hmm. but it might've been sort of appropriate maybe in sixth grade. Yep. But once you get into fifth, once you get into high school is not okay. Yes. Um, and he also started not turning in his work, um, losing assignments, turning in incompleted work, taking forever, you know, not ma- meeting deadlines, Um, and so the teacher started complaining and the teacher started reaching out to the mom and saying, this is a problem. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: this started in like November, right? Mm -hmm. We get to January and the, um, the now, now the guidance counselor gets involved and the mom is saying to the guidance counselor, what can I do? What can I do? I don't know what's going on. He's made it through to ninth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what he needs, but he needs help. The guidance counselor offers all sorts of kind of like informal help. Um, Nothing's helping. Finally, in March, the mom says, I think I'm going to get him an evaluation. And the guidance counselor says, okay, great. Um, Here's some names of some private evaluators who, who I've heard really good things about, right? So the mom goes out and spends thousands of dollars on a neuropsychological evaluation, right? And in a situation like that, Um, in a situation like that, the, what really should have happened, Mm -hmm. oh, sorry. And it turns out that the child was diagnosed with, um, severe ADHD and also turns out has an IQ that's off the charts. So that explains why he Mm -hmm. was able to, you know, he was able to get through and always pull it off at the last minute. Mm-hmm. but also once he got into high school, it was really, really hard. And so he was starting to be labeled as a behavior problem. He was on track to fail like these really, really high level classes that he should have been able to keep up with, given his intelligence. Um, but it turns out that he had ADHD and it was becoming an increasingly difficult problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In in that case, the mother had to turn into such an advocate for him but the school should have known to offer an evaluation. And it's actually right. the um, school's legal obligation to um, notice that this may, this is more than just, this maybe be more than just a kid who thinks he's being funny and who's a little bit disorganized and to offer the evaluation. Once you start seeing this pattern of behavior, that's causing failing grades, lots of, um, or even just underperforming grades. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of referrals from teachers, lots of complaints from teachers, lots of requests for help from the parent. For- That's the kind of legal tool that should have been offered much sooner.
1: So I'm just going to interject for a second. So uh, we've worked with a lot of families that have been in similar situations where it's extremely stressful, where it's almost like if you're driving and and there's no indication that you have you know, your your tire is punctured and you're losing right. air. Right. Um, let's say, you know, you you have an older car and there's no sensors on the tires. You have no idea that you're losing air. You know, you're driving, you don't feel it. And then also good dunk. Like you're, you know, it goes out and, and you're caught off guard and then you're in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, what the hell do I do? Right. Um, and, 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 those are the, for families, you know, it's extremely stressful because, as you mentioned, in, in an ideal situation is that when the air starts coming out of the tire, that's when the school should be like, hey, you know, we're seeing some things, right? You know, um, and then the parent should be aware of it. So, th- I would assume so the school can work with the parent way before there's a serious problem, right? Right. Um, and, that, and that's commonplace where schools, you know, they, they don't – parents aren't aware that there may be some issues going on, and they don't know until it becomes a so-called problem. And then once it's a so-called problem, you know, as you said, like a, a parent doesn't know what to do. So, um, so yeah, sorry. So t- tell us more about this family.
0: Oh, well, I mean, you know, I wish I could say – I mean, the parents – Once the, once this child got the evaluation, Uh um, the parents were able and they, they, he got, they got the diagnosis Uh um, and they were reassured that this wasn't just the child um, acting out. And if you just kept saying, just get more organized, he would get more organized that he really did not know how to manage his work. And, um, Unfortunately, they, the only way they were really able to get help for him was to start paying out of pocket on their own
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, with, you know, working with an educational specialist who fully understood the, um, the implications of, of his diagnosis and his particular profile, too, not just... Um, not just that he had ADHD, but that he had ADHD and was extremely brilliant, um, and so that they were able to work with him and teach him how to teach him because he was old enough to understand
2: mm-hmm.
0: how his brain worked, and um, and then unfortunately um, the there he's now at the end of his 11th grade year. They did end up having to sue the district. Um, they are still waiting. To hear the results of their um, hearing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and he still hasn't gotten an IEP, um, and he has a 504 plan. Those are two different ways of getting um, getting accommodations, uh, and it's 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 turned into a huge battle. And in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, had the school just acted properly in ninth grade, they would have saved everybody, particularly this child. Um, a lot of heartache and they would have saved the parents a lot of money and the school district a lot of money.
1: Yeah. So let, I want to touch upon a few points. Um, so one, um, when children are evaluated, I know a lot of parents are hesitant because of the stigma involved, but in, but now in 2020, there's definitely less stigmas for children that have these various labels. But the most important thing is that when you, get, when you have a well-written report that you read, um, you can have a better understanding of why your child is acting this way, and then you have a kind of a different perspective, as you said like maybe I shouldn't yell at my child all the time it's not that they're acting out it's it's, it's how the brain is functioning um, and and you once you kind of understand why, as I said it's a you, you, hopefully you, you you change your perspective and you change the way you react and, and help the child now so the most important thing is that if a child is having significant learning issues. And, and and they need those ramps. Um, the only thing that parents, at the end of the day, can do where you have some sort of control is to get an IEP, right, or or um, you, you said a five hundred four plan, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so can you? So um, and 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 the reason I'm again, this is your area of expertise, but um, of of you know, I, I read a zillion IEPs, um, but I. Correct me if I'm wrong. So I know with IEPs, it's a legal document, right? Where it lays out the child's goals and that there's accommodations, and legally the school has to fulfill the, if it's accommodations, those ramps. Um, they have to, you know, work on those IEP goals. Um, and there's monitoring data and making sure your your child is 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 um, being educated maybe in a different way, etc. And and if and if the school's not doing that, then then they're held account- accountable for not fulfilling the IEP. Without the IEP, uh, parents really have no control, right? It seems like the, the schools are in the driver's seat. So, um, so that's one. And, and then with the, uh, the 504 plan, um, can, you, can you tell us more about that? And what's the, what's the difference between an IEP and a 504?
0: So I always think of, of the law. So IEPs and 504 plans both come out of different laws.
1: Interesting. See, I would, I would have assumed it was the same law and, and nope. I had no idea. Interesting. Okay.
0: There are two different laws. Section 504 of mm-hmm. the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 mm-hmm. uh, is the law that sets out the, what a 504 plan should look like, sort of. Got it. Um, <laughs> the IDEA mm-hmm. is the Individuals with Disabilities and Education Act. That very, very specifically describes what an individualized education plan should look like. Mm-hmm. Um and they're very similar a 504 plan and an IEP both of them remember i used the term fape before yes
1: yep free
0: appropriate public education both of them describe what a free appropriate public education should look like for a particular kid in other words if your child has a particular condition that legally meets the definition of a disability. And I can talk about what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, The school is supposed to alter the environment um, in, in, um, in order to, for that to meet the needs of that child in order to provide them with FAPE. section 504 is a much older law. And so it's much vaguer about Mm -hmm. what the contents of that plan should look like. Um, The IDEA is a much newer law and it keeps getting updated and it's much more specific. So, um, a lot of people prefer five o, uh, IEPs mm-hmm. there's there's for a couple of reasons. One is there's a lot more um, structure to them and a lot more specificity, and also the um, the the whole sort of funding scheme gives schools money for. Uh, services that you can get through the through IEPs, whereas 504 does not come with any funding. Um, so 504 plans are less common, um, and th- because the law is so vague, a lot of the times um, advocates tell people that it's much better to go for IEPs um, because the, the schools understand what what implementation of an IEP means. Mm-hmm. However. There are um, even though y- there there is a few situations mm-hmm. where you can get an IEP. Uh, sorry, it's easier to get a 504 plan mm-hmm. um, than it is to get an IEP. Got it. Um, yeah. And I could go into that, but but basically, 504 plans and IEPs are the two different kinds of accommodation plans that you can get for kids who have conditions that qualify as disabilities.
1: Got it. So. And if you're a parent, you can't do both. You have to go down, either go this way or that way, right?
0: Right. Okay. Um, the, and the schools should understand when which situation is appropriate for which kind of plan.
1: Now, is it realistic for a parent to expect the school to know which path is best for the child?
0: Uh, it... it Schools should know that? Yes. Um a lot of the time unfortunately schools leave um it up to the parent to request one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and um as I you know as I was sort of saying in that example I gave earlier um it doesn't it doesn't often work out that way. It, Got it. It, Got it. A lot is left to the to the um to the parent to say, no, 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 I want a 504 plan. I want an IEP and that's not the way it should work.
1: Got it. Um, so one last question again, we can go on and on, um, about this now, um, to tell us currently in terms of, um, your advocacy work, um, and your consulting work, can you let us know, um, how you're helping families today?
0: Sure. Um, so, so before, you know, before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. um, I was doing a lot of work. My, my approach is that um, I think that a lot of like, these hearings and, and really sort of endless conflicts between um, districts and parents can be avoided when the parents know their rights as early as possible right. and when they really understand, for example, should I be seeking an IEP? Should I be seeking a 504 plan? What, what even is that and is my child eligible for either of those things? Um, so a lot of the work that I do is um, I, I offer a lot of trainings for parents um, around sort of the big picture of the process and then sort of little pieces of it. Um, and then I also work with parents at any stage along the system, uh, uh, at any, any stage in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, What I like to do is work with parents from the beginning so I can Mm -hmm. help them get, um, remember I said that that family had to spend thousands of dollars on a private evaluation. Mm -hmm. Um, There are ways to get, get the district to do that for you. Um, And if you can't get them to do that for you, there's ways to get reimbursement. So I help people with that. Um, I, what I, the bulk of my work is working with families um, helping them prepare for IEP meetings, helping them make sure that they develop the best IEP that they can develop for the child, helping them implement the IEP because a lot of the times um, the IEP looks great on paper, but yeah. then when, then the school doesn't actually ever read it. They stick it in a file drawer. Um, and then when they can't, when those things, when they reach a roadblock, then um, I tend to avoid um, hearings because it's the process I'm in New York City, and the process in New York City is so completely messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to work with people to file uh, mediations and state complaints and sometimes federal complaints in my own off- old office. Um, and, and my whole sort of mission is really to um, educate them along the way about sort of every piece of the process so that eventually they don't need me.
1: Yeah, it, it it honestly sounds like if you're a parent and you're kind of forced to uh, walk into the jungle and you're kind of lost. There's animals that you've never seen before. You don't know what to call them, um, and and they somehow have to figure out like the right path to you know to get out of the the, the forest safely. Um, it's extremely overwhelming. I know every every family that I've worked with that has gone through the IEP for the most part um it's 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 a huge burden on parents it's anxiety provoking and um, I, I think regardless of if, if a family can afford having a private advocate or if they can get a free advocate from their school, um, yeah. And one last tip about that. So if if a parent, let's say they don't have the funds and and they're in a situation where you know they're so overwhelmed, they know their child needs an IEP and and their school is not reliable. What 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 can and it, I mean, no, it probably differs by state by state, district by district. But in general, what what can a, a parent do? I
0: mean, if if parents don't have the funds um, there are there are a lot of public publicly funded organizations um, that that provide advocacy for um, for parents um, there's there's a lot of um, online trainings okay oh, yeah there's online trainings that you can do um, there's there's an organization called understood.org Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on their their expert panel, mm-hmm. um, and you can write in with questions to them, and then have people like me answer them for you and give you advice. Um, but I would say that, and and every the the IDEA mm-hmm. has um, a requirement that there's that parents can have something called a parent representative at the IEP meeting, so you can always ask for. Um, the district to assign someone who's sort of there to be your support person, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, their quality can, can range um, quite a bit, but there are a lot of resources. I know in New York city um, there's, there's advocates for children. There's new, there's um, New York uh, legal assistance group. There's um, there's, there's a whole host of, other organizations that offer free advocacy hotlines, um, all sorts of like just information sessions and trainings and things like that. And, and right now they're offering them um, online. So Great.
1: And what we'll, what we'll do at the, at the bottom um, of the description of this video, we'll leave some of your recommended links for okay. these. Yeah. So if parents can reach out to them. Um, also for those watching this, there's a subscribe button. Please like us and subscribe. Um, that helps us tremendously. And Miriam, thank you so much. We'll leave um, your, your, uh, your website at the bottom of the description as well. We hope to have you back. I, they, you know, I'm sure parents have tons of questions and you're a wealth of, you have a wealth of knowledge and this is, you know, very as i said it's like it's like such a complicated uh area where you're using terminology parents don't know about rights they don't know about um and and thank you so much for for helping families um you know navigate this this complex system
0: it's my pleasure thank you for having me
1: thank you